Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. I'm your host, Michael Kaplan, and once again, we come to you from our studio on the beautiful campus of the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. After a brief hiatus from the Silver Halide sessions, I welcome another film camera collector to the show, and in doing so, continue to realize and uphold the mission statement of this podcast to present in-depth and accurate information to the best of our ability, opinion that is supported with clarity, focus, and open-mindedness, and a perspective on film camera collecting that is provocative and hopefully educational. I first encountered my guest as I tuned in to one of my favorite podcasts, I Dream of Cameras, with Jeff Greenstein and Gabe Sachs. She was visiting the show, and as usual, the discussion was entertaining and high-spirited. I was immediately drawn to her refreshing perspective on film photography, and after investigating further, discovered her work framed by the popular Instagram presence, Girl with Too Many Cameras. Too many cameras? This was a phrase foreign to yours, truly. However, I was intrigued, and after a brief communication, an interview was scheduled. When we return, I chat with Danielle Robleski, the girl with too many cameras. And we are back. You're listening to The Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. This episode, we return to the Silver Halide sessions with a visit from celebrated photographer, collector, writer and advocate, Danielle Robleski. Danielle's Instagram presence, Girl with Too Many Cameras, combined with her advocacy work involving women in Film Wednesday and the film sorority, have made her an invaluable asset to women photographers and the film photography community in general. Welcome, Danielle, to The Ephemeral Machine, and thanks for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, that you're, you're sort of giving us for, um, for this interview. Um, and, you know, I kind of want to frame this, um, this discussion in terms of your approach to camera collecting. Um, and I know that we sort of uh, talked a little bit about this before um, we're, we're having this interview. I sent you some things to kind of think about. Um, but I'm, I'm in a traditional sense, you know, let's kind of track back and find out, you know, a little bit about where your interest in photography came and, you know, what was your first camera and things like that. It's actually, for me, I would say my interest in photography and collecting cameras really are intertwined and started together at the same time. Um, I, you know, I was born in the late eighties. So growing up as a kid, I shot film because that's all that there was available. Um, but I was never really interested in photography as an art medium as a, as I was growing up. Um, and it was only in the last probably four years that I really got back into it and like really explored it as a creative medium. Um, and it all just happened by accident. I was at a thrift store one day um, about four years ago and I saw a Canon AE-1 um, uh, there at the thrift store in this package with like some accessories. And, you know, I really didn't know anything about photography, like the logistics of like exposure and aperture and like, I didn't know anything about that. Didn't know anything about brands or cameras either, but you know, I could tell it was an old film camera, 35 millimeter camera. And I just, in that moment, it just looked so beautiful to me. And I, it was like, 
getting hit by a bolt of lightning. I just saw this camera and I just thought, wow, this like piece of equipment is just so immaculate and beautiful. And I, I just had to have it. So I, I bought that Canon AE one. So that was my first real serious film camera. And I got home and I um, immediately just started researching it because I wanted to know everything about this camera. Um, I first just got it cause I just thought it would be beautiful to have. I thought maybe it'll be like a shelf decoration or something. And then um, very quickly realized that film is still made and you can get it. And I thought, well, why not buy some film and put it through it? And, um, and the rest is history. I've just been hooked <laughs> ever since then. And, um, and at that same time, as I was learning about photography and learning about film, I just thought cameras as a piece of equipment were just so fascinating. There's so many different cameras out there and they all do like different things. And, um, so at the same time that I was learning, I was also just like obsessively buying every camera I could find because I just thought they're so cool and I want to have them. And so, yeah, that's why like my love of photography and camera collecting really grew together. I, I can understand that. And I can certainly appreciate that. I mean, there is an, an aesthetic quality to how, um, you know, the vintage film camera looks. Um, so it's not surprising that you were sort of drawn to the specific look of it. And, um, you know, that sort of connected you to the medium itself. And, and that's kind of what's so interesting about collecting in general is that, um, you know, photographers uh, sort of see these pieces of equipment and they look at them in terms of their industrial design, which is, you know, what I kind of push very heavily in, in my own work. And from there, it sort of uh, stems off into um, an interest in um, pulling together equipment that sort of um, replicates that specific idea. So um, the Canon AE-1, which is a fairly traditional and certainly a, a very popular and um, uh, film camera. Um, did that sort of um, uh, initiate an interest in a particular brand? I mean, did you decide that maybe Canon was a way to go for you or did that sort of just allow you to explore all different things at this point? Yeah, it really, I guess, was more just a way to explore all different things. I've never been a big fangirl for any specific brand. I know there's people, especially like in the digital world, there's like diehard Nikon versus Canon. And um, my mom's a digital shooter. So I've heard a lot about <laughs> how different like brand stands really like go at it. But I've never really been that way that that first AE1 just like just kind of opened the door to just a whole world of options. Um, and I, I definitely have a plethora of different brands in my collection. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have just like all Canon or anything like that. Okay. And I know, um, uh, I, I, I did look at your, your most recent Instagram story, um, because I like to keep tabs on everybody that I interview and have interest in. Um, and, uh, you posted a little, uh, quiz if anybody could guess how many cameras were in your collection at this point. And, um, I, I didn't check back, so I don't know what the answer is. Um, but so I'm here to be surprised. Yeah. Okay, what's um, the answer? Well, <laughs> the final number is 51. Um, I will say in my camera collecting, I really haven't done a great job of really keeping like fine tabs of every single make and model and the exact number. Um, I tend to, when I like take stock of everything I have, I tend to feel a little bit bad, like a guilty, like, oh man, I've, I've spent all this money on cameras. So I've, I've kind of historically have just turned a blind eye to not really keeping a really detailed um, 
catalog, but I finally decided, you know, it was time. I have a lot of cameras. They're scattered all over my house. I probably should actually get a nice list. So yeah, it all came to 51. Oh, that's a healthy collection. Um, yeah. Is it is it made up of anything, um, you know, specific in uh, terms of a particular brand or um, maybe a region, German, Japanese, anything like that? Yeah, I would say largely Japanese um, is my brand, is, is uh, probably the most represented country in my collection. I have a lot of Nikon, a lot of Minolta, a lot of Canon, got some um, Pentax and, and Yoshika. So, you know, those are all um, Japanese based um, co- uh, companies. Um, really, the large number of my collection are like 35 millimeter SLRs. I think, what did I? jot down here. I think like almost 23 or 24 are 35 millimeter SLRs. And that really wasn't like a, a firm decision I made. It wasn't like, oh, I must have a bunch of 35 millimeter SLRs. I just, when I first started learning photography and as I said, it was happening at the same time that I was just becoming obsessed with cameras as a piece of equipment. Um, You know, the most common camera I would find at the thrift store would be a 35 millimeter SLR, you know, whether it was another Canon AE1, which I I do have two now, (laughs) or, you know, a a Minolta SRT or XGM or, or Yashica FX2, you know, so that just kind of became the bulk of my collection because I was just grabbing everything I could find because I just wanted to learn everything about them. Oh, sure. Um, and I think that's certainly a, a great way to go and sort of uh, obtain as much as you possibly can in order to, uh, you know, get a much more universal look at how uh, all these uh, pieces of equipment function. And, you know, you mentioned um, sort of a thrift, thrift store purchasing, and I know that, um, you know, we in the film uh, camera community are all very aware of the fact that that's sort of the vast wasteland now. Um, you, you you potentially uh, could visit 12 thrift stores and not find one uh, film camera at this point because yeah. um, I guess there's been a resurgence and, a, and an interest in it, which is um, great. Not not great for the collector, uh, but great for the community. And uh, yeah. I, certainly, I certainly advocate that. Um, so where do you turn to now uh, if you des- decide that you want to uh, maybe acquire a camera for your collection? Yeah, I've, I've become a lot more fine tuned with my collecting now, now that I have been shooting for, you know, several years, and I just have a better grasp on who I am as a photographer and what my style is and what I like to shoot with. So um, I would say probably the bulk of my collection, maybe like 30 to 40 of those cameras I acquired in the first probably year and a half, two years that I was shooting. Um, I've slowed down quite a bit now. So I'm a lot more deliberate with the choices I make now. A lot of my cameras will either come from um, eBay or like an authorized, like an actual like retail place like KEH or Robert's Cameras. Um, and I put a lot more actual research into buying cameras now. I actually look at like, where is there a hole in my collection or, or if there's like a specific shoot I want to do, you know, if I have a specific like uh, uh, image in my mind that I want to create, um, that I know I don't quite have a camera for to create that, then I, that's really where my collecting comes from now is really being a lot more deliberate and researched in my purchases. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Well, I mean, it, it seems to make sense that you would have to turn to, you know, the more common sort of marketplace for purchasing those cameras, as I think we all have done now in the past few years. Um, it's interesting that you speak to, um, and I know that we were going to kind of talk about this um, a little bit, um, a particular aesthetic when it comes to uh, choice of camera. And, you know, I, 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 I focus in on this one particular question when I speak to collectors because I'm, I'm curious and it's sort of a phenomenon. And that is, you know, how do you choose the camera uh, that you're going to use to go out and shoot with? You know, it's kind of a mix. Um, each one of my cameras that I have does hold a special place in my heart. Um, when I came up with my catalog a few nights back, I really only could come up with one camera on the list that I don't like and I would like to get rid of every other camera I really do value and love. And so part of the decision of what am I going to shoot is like, what have I not shot recently? Like what camera have I not given love to recently that deserves to get pulled out and get used? And then it's also a little bit like, what am I specifically trying to go out and do? You know, if it's, um, if it's maybe during golden hour or if there's low light, I'll probably opt for a 35 millimeter camera because all those lenses I have stopped down to like 1.8 or 1.4. So I'm going to have you know, the fastest lenses with my 35 millimeter cameras. But if I'm shooting something where I'm not super concerned about that, or maybe I just want to really have a nice, sharp, clean image, then I'll probably opt for something more like my medium format cameras. So it's kind of a mix between what am I shooting and what hasn't gotten love recently. Okay. Um, well, that's a, a, a certainly reasonable answer. I mean, I find myself facing the same dilemma um, my collection is is larger, um, and I, I battle the same issues when I'm trying to decide what it is I'm going to shoot. Um, and I think that's something that all collectors kind of look at, those who who shoot and collect. Um, uh, so it's 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 reasonable that there's some time consideration uh, standing there just trying to decide what it is you're going to uh, pick up and, and put film into. Are there um, cameras in your collection that uh, never see essentially the quote-unquote light of day in terms of uh, uh, using? Yeah, you know, there are a few that I've, I've purchased and I just haven't used that much. Um, to be honest, they're more so like point and shoot cameras. I do have a few, like I have a couple of different Minolta point and shoots that I found at the thrift store, an Olympus point and shoot that I found at the thrift store and whatnot. And while I've used them and they're, you know, they all produce great images for a point and shoot, I just don't feel my style really really yearning for a point and shoot frequently because when I go out shooting I really want to have control over everything I want to I like to shoot in manual mode I like to be able to really choose my aperture or my shutter speed depending on what I'm shooting and you know point and shoots you really don't have any control over any of that so um they, those are probably the cameras that see the least amount of light of day and you know I have kind of gone back and forth on like oh well maybe I should just get rid of my the the point and shoots I have, but at the same time, there's like always that thought in the back of my head, like, well, what if I went on a trip or what if I'm just out hanging out with friends and I just want something easy <laughs> to shoot. So they've, they've stuck in there in my collection for, for those reasons. Sure. I can understand that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the, the medium format that you mentioned um, as part of your collection. Um, what, um, what particular brands are you working with at this time? Yeah, um, you know, I don't have uh, multiples of any specific brand too much, um, more so like styles of cameras. So 
by nature, I just don't have near as many uh, medium format cameras as I do 35 millimeter, just mm -hmm. because you don't find them at the thrift stores that often. And, um, but I, I have really recently discovered in the last year that I, I love twin lens cameras just really deeply. I just, I love the setup of them. I love the waist level viewfinder. I love how quiet the shutter is. I love the square format. Um, so I've actually made it a little like passion project to start collecting TLRs a little bit. Mm. Um, so I do have two different Yashica TLRs, a D and a Matt LM. I have a Rico Diacord, a Minolta Autocord. I also have mm -hmm. a lesser known one called a, a Primoplex, which I think is by the brand Toyo. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I love to cycle through those. I also have a Bronica ETRSI. Um, and that's probably the one if I'm doing something that I want something really, really sharp, or I just want to know that the exposure is always going to be right, or the colors are always going to be right. I feel like that's the most professional camera I have, my Bronica. So I, I, I do kind of lean on that a lot too, if I'm shooting medium format. Sure. The, um, you mentioned the Yashica D that's a, that's a fine, fine camera. And, um, I, I have, uh, a, a, a fairly decent one in my collection as well. And, um, occasionally it does get some use. Um, you know, I, I, I like the, the feel of it. Um, it's a well-made camera. It's very sturdy. And, um, um, you know, as a, as an alternative to the Rolleiflex, I think it's, um, certainly a good option, especially in terms of, uh, value. Yeah. Um, so, um, let's talk a little bit then about, you know, we talked about the, uh, the, the medium format, let's move to the more popular format that you're sort of invested in. Uh, but before we do that, um, are there any format cameras that are sort of unusual or odd formats represented, anything like that, um, where finding the film perhaps is a little bit more of a problem? In the last year, I've really started breaking into large format um, more. It all started, I know, if you would have asked me a year and a half ago, are you going to be a large format shooter? I've been like, never, I'm not. That's too crazy for me. <laughs> um, I just tripped into a really good deal by accident. I had a friend, an old high school friend who reached out to me and was like, I have a family member who's trying to get rid of all these cameras. Um, like, would you be interested? I know you love cameras. And they had an old nine by 12 plate camera. Mm. Um, it's a Welta and they were, you know, I think it's from sometime in like the 1920s potentially. And they didn't know anything about it. They didn't even know if it was working, but it had all the plate holders. Um, they sent me photos. It looked pristine. I didn't know anything about plate cameras either, but I just thought it's so, you know, unique and you don't see a lot of them out there and you don't see a lot of people shooting them. And, they only wanted $70 for it. So I was like, Oh, why not? You know? So, um, that's probably the most obscure one I have is this nine by 12 camera. You can still get glass plates for it. I, I go through J lane, um, Jason to get glass plates for it, but there really isn't much in the way of sheet film. I think you can get FOMA 100 and nine by 12, but there really aren't <laughs> any other options. So that's like the most obscure thing I have. Definitely. And, and considering that, that sort of odd format and sort of pushing yourself into the realm of large format, um, you know, what would you, uh, use that camera for in terms of your photography? Yeah, well, it has always like, it was always a pipe dream of mine that it would be so cool to do amber types or tin types, mm -hmm. but it was always something like, oh, those are so cool. Those are so beautiful. Like, 
but I'll never be able to do that. That that's never realistic. And so it was not nothing I ever really seriously considered doing, but now that I have this camera um, and I've started shooting these dry glass plates, um, there's actually a fellow photographer I'm connected to. His name is Lee Lira, who does a lot of large format and glass plate work. And he actually developed this homemade recipe to mix up your own developer that will actually develop the glass plates as an amber type, as like a positive amber type, mm -hmm. um, which was a lot more um, like feasible and and actually realistic for me to do than like a wet plate process, which sure. was still really not quite something I could swing. Um, and so I've, I've started doing those and I, I, I love the results I'm getting. And so that's really where that is like fitting into my creative process and my style. I have also now since expanded into four by five, I've gotten a speed graphic. Um, and, and I specifically got that because I would love to keep doing these glass plate amber types, but I would like to get like some old brass lenses. So I wanted to get the speed graphic. So I would have that focal plane mm. shutter to use. Interesting. So you're migrating towards uh, a, a real vintage approach to photography, yes. uh, those alternative processes and uh, things of that nature. Um, mm -hmm. Great. Um, you know, I think that's a really um, interesting way to, and a, certainly an interesting direction to take the aesthetic. Um, let's uh, reverse and go in the other direction. Let's head back towards the smaller formats then. Sure. Um, the 35 millimeter, which is uh, the most popular format in your collection. I'm curious the breadth of it in terms of uh, maybe unusual cameras, uh, ones that sort of don't fit into the, uh, the more mainstream um, manufacturers, anything that you can think of. I know you've shot recently with a, with a Kodak Retina. Um, I saw some of the photographs on your Instagram page and was impressed by uh, the quality of the image. And, um, you know, this is something that, um, you know, I talk about with collectors in terms of um, not only the value of vintage cameras, but the uh, uh, intrinsic trust that you have in them to perform the way that you want them to. Um, so looking at your, your camera collection, are there standouts um, that are maybe not traditional that you can feel like you can really depend on? Yeah, you know, I would say actually that uh, Kodak Retina 2C that you just mentioned would probably be the biggest like unique standout I have. I um, a lot of my other 35 millimeters are pretty typical like Minolta SLRs and Nikon SLRs and Canon SLRs, um, but that Retina, you know, they're such an underappreciated and an overlooked camera. I don't think a lot of people even know that they exist. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there'll be a rangefinder and rangefinders are, I think, already like a little bit less popular than uh, SLRs. And, you know, in the rangefinder world, everybody just talks about Leica, like Leica, Leica, Leica rangefinder and nothing against Leica. They're, they're obviously produce amazing cameras. But um, I think that kind of like crowds out the discussion of other type of rangefinders. And that one was just a complete random pretty early on in my in my photography uh, career, I was just playing around on eBay and I, I saw this listing, listing for this Retina 2C and I um, really didn't know much, but it looked honestly to, it sounds so stupid, but it just looks so cute. Like <laughs> I was looking at this posting and it's this cute little folding camera. And I just thought, wow, this is like an adorable little camera. And it was for a very cheap price. I don't think the person who had it really knew what they had. So I just took a chance on it and yeah, it works great. The shutter speeds are all really snappy, um, works on every single speed and 
it's actually one that I just probably haven't used near as much as I should have. I, I've kind of gotten wound up with my other cameras and I hadn't touched it in like for almost a year. Um, and then I shot a roll through it recently and, and it, going through those images and just how stunning they are. And the lens on that retina is so sharp. Um, it just made me realize like, wow, I should, there's times where I shoot with other SLRs I have and I will feel kind of let down with the results. Um, but that was, I loved every single image I got on that. So it made me realize like, I really need to rely on this retina way more when I want to shoot 35 millimeter. Yeah, I can understand that. They're fine cameras that uh, the series of um, the Retina 2, the Retina 3, um, they're gaining popularity, certainly among collectors, and the Schneider lenses are um, are excellent. So I'm not surprised that you're getting some really good images from them. Um, anything else, uh, unusual folders, anything in that, in that vein that uh, stands out or that might be represented in your collection? Um, you know, not so much maybe in 35 millimeter. It, well, I guess I would say for 35 millimeter, um, I have a lot of plastic, fantastic nineties SLRs. You know, I have a couple of the Minolta Maxims. I have several of the Nikon N series. Um, and I just feel like plastic, fantastic, uh, SLRs are just like criminally underloved as well because they have that kind of dorky, like nineties look to them. They don't look as cool as the seventies SLRs and, but they produce amazing images and their metering is always like spot on, you know? Um, so I think that's, um, more of a standout that I think isn't maybe as popular, um, if we jump to like a different format, uh, in 120, I do have some more like odd ones there. I have a couple of folders there. I have like a Zeiss icon, mm -hmm. a, a six, four, five folder. Um, I also have a Kodak duo 620 folder. Um, and I actually have a good number of box cameras again, that you, there are always box cameras at the thrift stores. I feel like that's what you'll find. You'll find like 35 millimeter cameras and like old box cameras at the thrift store. So I have some box cameras that I have also shot on that, which I just think is fun, you know, like, um, just like it's a, a hundred year old point and shoot camera basically is what a box camera sure. is. So yeah, those are some more of the obscure uh, ones that I have. I, I understand. And uh, when you're, when you're considering, um, you know, your collection and maybe, um, your, where your interests are moving to, uh, in terms of, uh, collecting and also the aesthetic of photography. Um, do you ever get your sights set on a particular camera and you sort of feel like, um, you know, this is something that you need to acquire? Anything along yes. those lines? <laughs> I guess everybody <laughs> feels that. <laughs> you know, I avoid using the, the term uh, gas um, only because um, I make a distinction uh, in terms of um, what I consider to be gear and not. And, um, you know, in, in my world, as far as collecting is concerned, um, you know, collectible cameras and vintage cameras, I don't really consider gear. Um, the more mainstream cameras are the ones that sort of fall into that purview. Um, but um, it, again, let's turn back to that question in terms of uh, desire to acquire. Yeah, no, I definitely do. Um, I will get like a bug in my brain. Like you need this specific camera. Um, it's not often like the really hyped cameras, you know, like the Leica M6s or the Hasselblad 500s. Don't get me wrong. I think it'd be so cool to have, have a Hasselblad 500, but I don't feel like a really deep, like I need to pursue this and get this right now. Um, but I do, I will frequently, you know, just like trip onto a camera and start researching it and just think, wow, this camera is so cool. Like, I really want to have this. And, 
it'll um, just like be a bug in my head where I just constantly think about it. And um, I used to be not so good about um, not always falling into those desires and buying those cameras. I, I, I used to just kind of indulge that a, a, a bit more. Um, but I'm trying to be a little bit more restrained. And I tell myself, well, you know, if, I, if that does happen, I do get a camera that I like kind of become obsessed with. I make myself wait a few months because I figure, you know, if it's like four or five months down the line and I'm still dreaming and thinking about this camera, then I must be something that I really do want. And um, so like for right, right now, currently, I'm kind of lusting after like an intrepid four by five. I've been um, shooting on my speed graphic and playing, it's got very limited movements, but it can do a little bit of forward tilt, um, which I just love like the tilt shifty effect that gives. Um, so I've been like really lusting after an intrepid so I can get more lens movements. Um, but I've also like been swooning over like a Bronica, like SQ. I just think it'd be so fun to have a six by six, uh, medium format SLR, um, there's been other 35 millimeter cameras. Now they're all escaping me, but, um, and sometimes they don't work out. You know, I actually, I had one, I had a Canon Canonette, the, the QL, uh, 17 that I was like, I had a bug in my head about for several months. And I just thought, man, I, I would love to have one. And I don't have a lot of range finders in my collection. And so after a couple months, I finally decided to indulge and I got it and I just did not like that camera. Like once I actually got it and started using it, I just, and I had done so much research and I read so many reviews and I just thought, yes, this is it. I want this camera. And I just, I didn't like the user experience of it. And I kept mixing up like the aperture and the focusing ring and the range finder patch was really dim and a whole host of issues. And I just fell completely out of love. And I ended up just gifting it to a friend. There was somebody I knew who also really wanted one. And I was like, you know what? Here's a present. <laughs> it's a nice gift, a really yeah. nice gift. Um, I could, I could, I could see the, uh, you know, the, the uh, certainly the advantages and disadvantages of of trying to work with a camera that um, that challenges you. Uh, sometimes those challenges uh, force you to become a different kind of photographer, and sometimes it becomes just a detriment. Um, uh, this question um, is kind of a curious one, but um, have you ever purchased, and I'm not talking about the Canon A1 because that was really your first camera, and I'm not talking about the, the Retina um, because I think you, somewhere in the back of your mind, realize that it could be a, a, a valuable camera in terms of shooting. Have you ever purchased a camera solely based on how it looks in terms of its design? Early on when I got a first couple of TLRs, I think I really was pulled towards TLRs um, before I ever shot them just because of the look of them. Like they just look so cool. They look so unique um, from any other camera format or, or, you know, style of camera. And like, who are we kidding? You know, it was when I started shooting film, it was right at the time that Vivian Mayer was like exploding in popularity. And I just, I, I read a book on her and I just thought how cool this woman is so like talented and her, you know, obviously she had famously had a Roloflex. And I, I think there was a part of me that like wanted to emulate and be like, I want to be like Vivian Meyer. And she's got these beautiful TLRs. And so, yeah, when I first started buying TLRs, I'll be honest, it was purely because of the look of them. Okay. Uh, I mean, that, that's absolutely reasonable. I think I would have to say probably 75% of my collection is, is based on the look of the camera in and of itself and perhaps what it represents historically. And in terms of the, 
camera range and, and variance and things like that. So I can certainly identify with those particular feelings. Um, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your, um, your connection between the camera and the photograph. Um, uh, you know, you have beautiful images on your Instagram page. Um, Thank you. And I'm, I'm curious with each posting, do you um, state the, the, the kind of camera that you used in order to take the picture? I do, yeah. I always state the camera and the film because, you know, it's all, I think it's all an integral part of the, the process to me, you know, choosing the camera, choosing the film, choosing the lens. I probably should post the lens too because really the lens is going to be the thing that gives you the biggest look as opposed to the camera body. But, um, you know, it's, it's all what got me to that final image was those decisions I made. And um, I do have cameras that I've obviously shot a lot of my, very frequently and I, I have um, been able to identify like what look and style each camera gives and even to the point where I can kind of tell that like well my Canon AE1s for you know they tend to give a cooler look for whatever reason that glass gives me a cooler like white balance um, versus you know like maybe my Pentax or my my Nikons um, so you know I take that into consideration too and um, so yeah I, I feel like I always post the camera because I feel like it does make a difference in how the image was created. Okay. Uh, and, and by extension, do you think that the person looking at the photograph, uh, if they're a photographer is curious about what camera you use to make that photograph? I think it just really varies person to person. I, you know, I've heard, I've heard some people argue like, oh, I'd love to see the day where people don't post the gear that they use because I don't care about gear. I just care about the final image. And I mean, I think that's a completely valid thought process. But like I said, my viewpoint is that those all made a difference in how that image was made to me. Like that was all, every step in the process is important from when I choose the camera to the film, to the image, to the final processing of it on my computer. Um, so, you know what, if somebody doesn't care about what camera I, I, I used, well, that's fine. They don't, they don't need to read the caption, but, okay. um, so I, yeah, I guess I don't really know. I guess I, I assume that it's just really varies person by person. Okay. I mean, that's a fair response. Um, you know, I, I purposely asked that question because it's something that's sort of come up in discussions that I've had with other photographers and, um, you know, I am, um, of the mind that, um, while it's not important to know the camera, um, it's certainly a, a level of interest, which, uh, may help a photographer to at least comprehend a little bit more about, uh, a photographer's approach and, um, mm -hmm. you know, their, their uh, aesthetic choices and things like that. Plus, um, you know, a, a camera in and of itself is a tool and it's going to force you to work a certain way. And, um, a lot of times that's going to affect the, uh, the final image that you're, you've posted. Um, I'm going to uh, kind of circle back just for a second because I want to attend to a few more things con concerning your collection as an entity, and then we're going to shoot forward a little bit. So um, bear with me for a moment here. Um, but in, in terms of your collection, I know it's, it's uh, you know, right around 50 or so cameras. Um, are they displayed? Do you keep them out? Do you keep them stored? Um, what is your, your mode of, of uh, sort of keeping the collection together um i don't really have a great mode <laughs> to be completely honest i have like i have th uh, two different three drawer like storage units that houses like most of the collection 
Um, but they're also just kind of like scattered throughout the house. Um, most of my box cameras, well, not most, all of my box cameras I actually have on display on a bookshelf because I mean, I just figured those things, you know, can take a beating. They've been around a hundred years and that there's not much to mess up on them. So I feel like it's okay for them to just sit out as decoration. Um, I also tend to like whatever I'm shooting like currently, or um, I'll tend to leave those out sitting on the table too, you know? So it's kind of a scatter, you know, I have some that are on bookshelves. I have some that are in drawer units. I have some that are spread out across my table because I'm reaching for them a lot right now. So not a really great system. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Um, more uh, curiosity than anything else. Are there any um, specific cameras that um, this term is used uh, quite a bit, the so-called grail camera or anything that you, you yearn to own? I know you mentioned the Intrepid. Um, anything else that sort of coincides with that that may be your, uh, sort of unreachable at this point, but you'd wish you had? Yeah, I would say, you know, at the moment, as you mentioned, the, my grail camera would be like an intrepid, um, but I'm making myself hold off before I invest in it, make sure I really want it. Um, really something that's maybe more like far-fetched that I don't know if I'd ever get would be probably like a Hasselblad 500 mm -hmm. um, because I do, I really do love medium format. And I, I think six by six is my favorite format in medium format, which um I think is like a little unpopular right now. Everybody wants to shoot six by seven, but I just love a square. I love six by six. And, um, and it's just such an iconic camera, you know, it's been to the moon. It's, it's, um, it's got such a great history to uh, behind it. And like, who, like, who are we kidding? It's also just like a damn, like fine looking camera. It's a beautiful looking camera. And so I think a Hasselblad would be amazing to own, but you know, with what prices currently are and, and, uh, with the salary I make, it's just definitely not feasible right now. Maybe years down the line after I've gotten a couple raises or a promotion or something, but, mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely, that's more like a far off dream camera that I'm not really planning to like actually invest in. I understand. Right I understand. Uh, I'm curious. I, um, uh, in a previous episode, I had a, a lengthy uh, conversation with Vladislav Kern um, so I'm curious whether uh, Soviet cameras have ever entered your collection or your, your thinking process in terms of ownership. Yeah, they definitely have. I, um, I have thought about getting like a Kiev, you know, like 88 or something like that, mm -hmm. but, you know, because of the fact, like I just said, I'd love to have a Hasselblad, but that's not really something that's legitimately feasible in my current state. And so I have, that is something that like every couple months, like out of curiosity, I look up Kievs on eBay and I'm like, oh, what are they going for? What condition are they in? Um, I haven't actually pulled the trigger on that yet. I'm not super researched on Soviet cameras, I will say. And I feel like I hear like very mixed things. I hear some people who, who love them. And then I hear some people who are like, oh, the quality control on them are awful. Don't get them. And so I, I probably need to do more research before I decide to buy a Kiev. Um, I also earlier in my career, um, when I was shooting more 35 millimeter, um, I, you know, got into that mindset, like I should have some, some range finders in my collection. I don't have enough range finders. So I started looking at like the Zorkies and I ended up just never pulling the trigger on them because I, I've just also realized that, you know, range finder is just maybe not the, the system that works best for my shooting style with the exception of the retina. So, um, don't have any Soviet cameras yet, but maybe someday. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, if you ever, um, you know, consider it again, um, you know, the Zorkies or the feds are a really good place to start. 
um, if you're looking for something that kind of pushes you to uh, work with a different form of the technology. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are, um, yes, uh, there are those who feel that the quality control is um, questionable, and in many cases it is, but um, choosing something like the Fed 2 or, or uh, you know, a Zorky, um, you, you're, you're in pretty fairly good shape for something that's going to function. So, um, you know, and there's lots of people out there who can certainly answer Mm -hmm. a multitude of questions about the, uh, the Soviet camera, certainly. Um, any uh, models in the collection or any specific cameras that um, sort of represent a unique moment in your collecting process? I know obviously the Canon AE-1 because that's the thing that sort of started stuff. Um, anything else that really uh, kind of strikes a chord in terms of, hey, I remember when I got this camera, you know, this is what push me to explore a different form of photography, something along those lines? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I can think of two. And the first one that comes to mind would be my Yashica D, um, which was the very first, um, not only medium format camera I bought, but the first TLR I bought. And I, I bought that very, very, very early on into my shooting career. I think I had, um, I think I really only had my Canon AE-1 for maybe like five months. Um, and I had already started buying some other, you know, I maybe had like three or four 35 millimeter SLRs that I had napped um, from the thrift store. And I really, at that point, I still had a very um, questionable understanding of exposure. I, I really struggled early on to like get the exposure triangle and understand how aperture and shutter speed were related. But I just, um, as I mentioned before, I just kind of really fell in love with the look of TLRs. I thought they looked just so cool. And I loved Vivian Mayer. And um, I found somebody locally, literally blocks away from me, who was selling a Yashica D for like $70. And um, I just thought, you know, I, I was really nervous. I was really scared about it because I just thought, man, I... I still feel like I'm struggling to learn some of these photography concepts and I don't have any medium format cameras and all of the cameras I had at that point had some sort of auto exposure setting, you know, whether it was like a, a shutter speed priority camera or whatnot. Um, so, and so also the idea of shooting purely manual and understanding how to set my manual settings was really daunting. Um, but I decided to pull the trigger and I, I got that camera and I could tell when the seller sold it to me, I don't, don't think he really believed in me. <laughs> he was, he was like asking me questions about like, what have I shot on? And I, I was trying to tell him and I could see him kind of like looking like, okay, this girl's going to get this camera and probably like realize she's in over her head and get rid of it. Um, but that was definitely the camera that um, I think helped me uh, confront my fear of shooting manually and really realize and helped me understand how it all works and really propelled me into medium format and really made me start taking myself seriously as a photographer. That's great. That's great. Um, and like I said, it's a fine camera. And um, it's nice that there's something that's sort of significant connected to it that you can sort of place in the history of your collection. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's always um, an, an important fact in, um, you know, looking at your equipment. Um, okay, well, let's kind of shoot forward a little bit um, and kind of step out of the realm of uh, just pure collection and um, look at your and uh, talk a little bit about your advocacy. Um, you know, you, you work with um, other women photographers. Um, you have sort of initiated Women in Films Wednesday and the um, film sorority. Um, 
I'm, I'm not sure how it all sort of collates in terms of collecting cameras. And I'm not sure whether you have a perspective on that other than the fact that, you know, you have advocated for more women working with film photography. Mm-hmm. Is there a connection in terms of collecting cameras to these particular areas of interest? I really haven't done any advocacy work with this, but I think people who often think of people who like to collect cameras or are really into gear and equipment, I think they tend to think men are more like that. And Mm -hmm. um, I've I've heard frequently like, oh, women don't care as much about gear. They just click and point and shoot and take the photo. And I, I, I think that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I think there's a lot of women out there who love the technical aspects of photography and love the gear and love the cameras and love learning about the actual, um, physicalities of how this equipment works and the science behind it. Um, so I, I mean, maybe that's how it's, you know, a little interrelated that, you know, maybe we could be a little bit better with when we think about camera collectors and who likes to collect that women love to do that just as much as guys do. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of, I don't know if really my collecting cameras has really influenced me advocating at all, but I guess, you know, it's all, it's all part of my photography journey. You know, the collecting cameras made me fall in love with photography and falling in love with photography made me realize that women are kind of woefully underrepresented in this mm-hmm. field. And so that's all, you know, played a role in getting to me to where I am. I think that's a fair response. Um, I kind of pushed you a little bit into a sort of an odd corner there. Um, I was, my, my curiosity is in the notion that, um, you know, is collecting more sort of universally appreciated now, um, you know, and is not so much gender specific as it's sort of understood or sort of, you know, labeled. Um, And I think you are a, um, a, 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 representative of somebody who um, likes to collect cameras for a lot of different reasons. Those particulars push you to think about photography in a very specific way. And, um, you know, there's, I'm sure, overflow into the way that you uh, advocate, um, you know, women in photography in in all areas. So um, I think that's really interesting and um, probably has a more profound effect than perhaps maybe you were even aware of. Yeah. so um, I, I want to ask you about your, your, your Instagram moniker. Um, and, and honestly, do you really think you have too many cameras? Um, I'm going to say yes and no. <laughs> um, I know in the aspect of, I love everyone in my cameras. Like I, I've said before, they all kind of hold a special place in my heart. And a lot of them, the way that they hold a special place in my heart is they all kind of represent a moment in my journey. You know, like the, I can remember every single camera and how I got it. I can remember I will, I was digging through this thrift store and I tripped across this, or I was just playing on eBay and I found this like crazy posting and, and they all kind of helped me understand cameras better or helped me like really see the similarities between different cameras and, so even if I don't um, shoot them that much, they all hold a special place in my heart. So I guess that's how I would say, no, there's not too many cameras because I all really value them. But at the same time, it can be like really overwhelming to choose what am I going to shoot on, especially when I think about, like, I do want to give them all love. And there are times where I do feel bad where it's like, oh, I haven't busted that camera out in like a year. And oh, it's just sitting there. And 
And so those are the moments where it's like, oh man, maybe I just have too many cameras. I'm not able to give them enough love. And so it's, it's a yes and no. Okay. So, um, you know, I think that there's, uh, some poetic license that goes with that, um, that Instagram moniker, um, certainly an effective one, but, um, I, I think, uh, you obviously appreciate having the cameras. So, uh, maybe there is no such thing as too many cameras, um, uh, only, um, appreciating the ones that you do have. Um, and, and I can certainly understand that and, and advocate that particular, um, set of choices. Um, is there any time when you, um, feel like, uh, you know, you're not using a camera and you feel like you, maybe you should let it go, but you hang on to it for any particular reason? Um, you know, I've heard people talk about this before, um, about this feeling of like, well, I don't use that camera enough. I should just get rid of it. I really have never thought that about any of my cameras. I've never thought, nah, it doesn't get enough love. I should just get rid of it because even at the end of the day, even if I have a camera that I'm not shooting as often as I'd like, I still like, it has a lot of sentimental value to me. It has a lot of intrinsic value. It, it reminds me, as I said before, of my photographic journey and where I was at that point in time when I bought that camera. And, um, you know, even if I'm not shooting it super frequently, it's just, I look at it and it, you know, or I'll just play around with it in the house and it um, just has a lot of intrinsic value. So I, I don't ever, I haven't really ever thought that before. Like, oh, this doesn't get used enough. I should just sell it because even just sitting on my shelf or, or me just putzing around with it here and there um, is very special to me. I understand. I, I, I can appreciate that. I, I, I uh, certainly respect uh, collectors who hang on to their cameras um and uh, so I, I kind of uh work in that in that uh with that idea as well um when you think about your collection um and your use of your cameras when you're shooting uh are there any that have particularly sort of tested your metal in terms of um the photographic process anything where you are just kind of battling the operation of the camera um maybe besides the canon net um, yeah. anything that, you know, for instance, you know, um, you know, I have a fairly substantial collection of exactas and they are known for uh, being ergonomically complicated and difficult. Um, but, um, you know, I'd never even considered letting them go because of how they look and certainly in terms of what they represent historically. Um, and I shoot with them quite a bit and, you know, it's a left-handed shooter. Uh, I'm right-handed. So I have to reorient myself every time I pick it up but I wouldn't even consider not simply because of the experience. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything that sort of pushes you in that direction? Um, maybe not so much anymore, but um, when I first was shoot, starting like on TLRs, for instance, I really struggled to adapt to the waist level viewfinder and everything being mirrored. Mm -hmm. um, that really like messed with my head. And I, I had moments where I would go out and shoot with my Yashica D and I would just really struggle to get the composition right because it, I just couldn't, you know, <laughs> I, I couldn't get the, the hang of the mirrored in the viewfinder. And um, man, there was a good number of months where I kept pushing myself. You got to go out and shoot with that TLR. You got to do it. And I just kept thinking, I'm just never going to get the hang of this. Like, this is always going to feel weird and awkward and I'm not ever going to get the right feel of this, um, waist down, uh, or waist level viewfinder. And 
eventually by pushing myself and continuing to shoot it because I just kept thinking, but it's such a beautiful camera and you bought it. And, um, now it doesn't bother me at all. You know, I'm, I'm completely used to waist level viewfinders. Um, I, I don't have an issue with them at all, but it was, you know, definitely pushed me and forced me to um, keep trying at something. It wasn't something that I just got right away. Um, so yeah, I would say probably those would be a good example. All right. Fair. Um, and, uh, in the same vein, but sort of the reverse of that, um, and, and, uh, keeping the whole point and shoot idea sort of separate. Um, are there any cameras that, um, and let me frame this in, in a particular way, you know, as film photographers, you know, there's this notion that, um, the process of photography as it is enhanced by setting a correct aperture, shutter speed, metering properly, you know, cocking the shutter, so on and so forth, becomes part of that experience. Um, are there any cameras that um, function so seamlessly uh, that it almost sort of detracts from the experience of shooting uh, film? Yeah, you know, I would say like, I know you said not point and shoot, and this is kind of close, but the like the 90s SLRs I have, you know, because they have uh, autofocus. And even if I'm shooting aperture priority, which I will do on, I never ever shoot program or, or full auto, N not trying to like degrade people who do that, but that's just not my preference. So I usually shoot manual or like aperture priority. Um, but yeah, those, um, it is just so seamless. And so frequently I'll be out shooting those cameras. And like, before I know it, like five minutes has gone by and I've gone through a whole <laughs> 36 exposure role because um, I'm able to just shoot, 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 shoot without. So it's a little bit more like digital in that aspect, you know, where you can just kind of shoot mindlessly as opposed with maybe like an older camera where I have to manually focus or manually do my exposure. That really makes me slow down and really think about the shots. So, um, and I still love those cameras, you know, they obviously have good uses, but yeah, those are definitely ones where maybe they're a little too seamless for me at times. Okay. And uh, um, of the ones that you um, are shooting, and, and are, are you of a um, sort of in the camp where, um, you know, you, you really hope to shoot everything that you, you have in your collection? Um, okay. I, I mean, I think a lot of people um, feel the same way because, you know, there's this rationale that suggests, well, I have the camera. I might as well shoot with it. So the camera represents something different to a shooter than perhaps a collector in that particular case. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it's very interesting that you, you're, um, you're sort of more, or not more, but prolific with the retina. Um, and I sort of draw attention to it because uh, it seems to stand out as a significantly different than the rest of the cameras in your collection, um, yeah. just because it's a rangefinder and it's of a certain generation and it represents something in history. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's interesting that you have sort of found a niche where you can go out and shoot with that, feel confident about working with that camera. And, you know, the results obviously speak to that confidence. Um, any other cameras besides, I know you mentioned the Yashika D, anything else that sort of falls into that, to that area? That, um, where you're so confident in, in terms of a camera that um, perhaps maybe typically may not be perceived as um sort of traditional or mainstream that you feel like you can count on when you pick it up and go out and shoot? Hmm. It's a tough question. I know, it's a but tough question. yeah. Um, I guess if you want to really be technical, um, 
you know, all my box cameras work and they always work exactly at the speed, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the one speed that they have. And I've, uh, I don't shoot my box cameras near as frequently. Um, but, uh, I do like to take them out every so often, maybe like once or twice a year. I like to just go around with a box camera and I mean, they always take the photos. The photos always turn out better than you would even expect for a box camera. So, um, I think there's a lot to be said for the humble box camera, you know, it will, oh, sure. it will be reliable. It will take your photo and, um, you will get a, probably a decent exposure out of it. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're using it correctly, if you've, you know, obviously chosen the right ISO and you're shooting in the right conditions and all of that, but. I could, I could see that. Um, I have a couple in my collection. They don't get used, I must say, um, but they uh, are there because they represent a certain aspect of um, photographic history, and they're sort of lined up in a small area in a shelf, kind of tucked away. Um, no, I have to admit, they're, they're not aesthetically the most interesting cameras to me, so they're not sort of foregrounded in my collection, but um, I do uh, sort of recognize their value. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I've taken them out and shot with them on occasion. And, um, honestly, the struggle is there for me a little bit. Um, it's hard to kind of see through those dim viewfinders and things like that, but still, yeah, that is a good point. Those are kind yeah, of a pleasurable experience in the end though, to kind of see the results of something coming out of uh, a camera that's of that vintage. So, yeah, 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 I, I could, I could see that. Well, um, Danielle, this has been, um, a, a real pleasure. Um, speaking with you, um, you know, I, I um, am happy to hear about the development of their collection in, in the way that it's sort of moving in a very specific direction. Um, you know, it's, it's important as collectors that we acknowledge that the camera is a um, entity. And I say that meaning that it pushes a photographer to work a certain way. Um, you know, we, we sort of face this notion that, well, uh, you know, if you have one camera, why can't you just go out and shoot with that one camera? You know, what's, what's different about the shooting experience when you pick something different out of your collection? Um, and I think that you um, have shown us that there is value in making those selections, those choices, um, and providing access to um, the people who are viewing your photographs so that they can uh, make evaluations and assumptions based on the information that they think is important. So um, I appreciate that. And um, in addition, I think that your, your support of um, the particular groups that you're advocating, um, the, um, uh, the, the Women in Film Wednesday and the Film Sorority are obviously invaluable. Um, and we see that, um, you know, the representation of women in film photography is growing and that's something that's sort of very pleasurable to see. And, you know, if it ever comes to a place where, um, you know, there's a, a, an acknowledgement of, of substantial changes in collection habits, uh, amongst some of your peers, I'd be interested in hearing about that because I yeah. think that'd be something to sort of tap into and see where um, the collecting has become more universal in this particular case. So, yeah, definitely. Well, um, again, um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And, um, you know, I wish you certainly the best. I'll keep track of, of your Instagram work. Um, I'll make sure that everybody can contact you uh, appropriately through your Instagram. I'm sure they, they already know um, <laughs> how to contact you at this point. Um, uh, and your other advocacy p- groups as well. So um, I appreciate your time 
and uh, sort of lending us the hour that you have given us tonight. Yeah, no problem. I just want to thank you again, Michael, for inviting me on here. Um, I think you've got a really great show. I've, I've listened to a number of your episodes and I, I, I think it, it is so, um, it's like soothing in a way. I love putting it on and just hearing people talk about cameras and it's got a really great flow. So um, I think you have a great show here and I really appreciate it coming on. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the kind words. And, um, you know, we'll sort of keep, keep looking at your work and uh, checking those captions to see what cameras you're using when you're yeah. shooting. So, yes. um, again, and, you know, I was going to say about that, sure. the, the, the cameras and the caption, I, I, I this thought came to me after we answered that. And the other reason why I, I think it's important to do that, um, the, one of the things I'm very proud of in my collection is I don't feel like I've really fallen um, victim to like trends, you know, I don't have any of the super trendy cameras, like I've said, like the Leica M6s or, or whatnot, or the Hasselblad X-Pans. Um, and I think we tend to, the film community online especially tends to get this mindset that, well, if you're gonna take a good image, it's gotta be on one of these really trendy cameras. Um, and that's why another reason why I like to always caption what camera I use, because I want to show people that you can take a good image with any camera you can. Mm -hmm. I have 51 cameras and none of them are like a M6 or a Hasselblad X-Pan or a Mamiya RB67. And all of my images that I post are images I'm proud of and I think are really good work. And so I think it's another good reason to, you know, why I like to caption what equipment I'm using, because I like to try to dispel that notion that you need one of these really, really hyped up expensive cameras to produce quality images. I think that's a great rationale and something that, um, you know, we should certainly consider when we're looking at, um, you know, the photographic work um, just in general. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a really positive approach to at least um, an understanding of how a photographer can move forward with their craft and not necessarily have to have, you know, the most expensive Leica in hand. So, yeah, exactly. Great. Great words. I appreciate that. Well, Danielle, again, it's been great. I uh, appreciate your time. And uh, we wish you the best of luck with your work. And um, this has been The Ephemeral Machine. And we'll be back after this break. And we're back. You're listening to The Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. I want to thank Danielle for her insightful perspective on collecting and using her cameras. Her talent as a photographer and the manner in which she draws inspiration from the camera that she's using presents a thought-provoking portrait of her particular aesthetic. In addition, her advocacy is a bedrock of the film photography community as Women in Film Wednesday and the film Sorority continue to thrive and support women photographers in every capacity internationally. Danielle offered a healthy admiration for the cameras in her collection, pinpointing her likes, dislikes, and particular favorites. She captions her images with the name of the camera and lens used, foregrounding important aspects of her process. As such, she is a prolific and talented artist whose collection of cameras is manageable and usable. And it was a pleasure to speak with her for this episode. And what of her Instagram moniker, Girl With Too Many Cameras? I thought about her point of view as I looked around the 350-so cameras that now filled my collection. Is it possible that I should focus more on the actual process of photography 
while drawing inspiration from the camera of choice? Could I simply be a film camera collector who has rationalized his obsession by producing a podcast about camera collecting to hide his dysfunction? Is it possible that I, Michael Kaplan, have too many cameras? The answer, dear listener, is a resounding no. And as I conclude my thoughts, I am eyeing a recently acquired Canon VI-T, a beautiful example of mid-century design and functionality. And I cannot wait for the next camera to arrive. This is Michael Kaplan, and I thank you for joining me. And I will see you for the next episode of The Ephemeral Machine. Thank you.